0: Everything about this moment in history seems uniquely designed to challenge our mental health. We are suffering, we need answers, and we need help. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound to host their new podcast series, Going There. I'm Dr. Mike Friedman, clinical psychologist and life coach. With Going There, I will talk with musicians who struggle with their mental health, just like us. After all, mental illness affects us all and the same artists who have stepped up to share their wonderful work with us are now sharing the intimate details of their journey in living with mental illness. We are going to ask the tough questions, and we're going to have the difficult conversations, all so that we can learn from each other. But more importantly, to shine a light on the difficult topic of mental illness so that we can all come out of the darkness and get the care we need. So we hope you join us on this journey. Going there. The Crossroads, where music and mental health meet.
1: Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center.
2: Breathe in. Breathe out.
3: Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out.
2: This is... Psychoanalysis
4: This is psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams.
2: I'm Lara Unnerstall.
1: And I'm Peach Buzz. No- ah! <laughs> I'm Mike Snootian.
2: <laughs> uh, and we are back with our
4: second episode on narcissism. Yay. Yay! <laughs> that, that's a peach fuzz grass. Yeah, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and if you can't tell, um, we are talking about Creep today. We are entering the world of mumble gore, which I am excited to talk about. Um, We did give an overview of narcissistic personality disorder in our episode on American Psycho, uh, which dropped two weeks ago, so make sure you check that out. But today, we are talking about Mark Duplass, and I love yeah. him. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I'll save it for my feelings check, but woohoo! we're talking about creep and a little bit of creep too but before we do we're going to give a brief synopsis of the movie in case you haven't seen it or in case it's been a while so here is your spoiler warning and it's going to be in the form of a growl today
2: (laughs) i wish i could like audially gyrate my hips like he does you know oh Uh. (laughs) yeah i'm like i'm like shaking and (laughs) nodding yes just imagine everyone imagine that (laughs) yes (laughs) okay Aaron is a nice man on his way to a rural mountain town for a totally not creepy job. He'll get $1,000 to film a man named Joseph for one day. When he gets there, Joseph is nowhere to be found, but he does see a big axe looming in the yard. Joseph finally arrives and immediately breaks social norms by asking for hugs and being overly familiar. Joseph tells Aaron that he has a terminal brain tumor and wants to film a video for his unborn son. Aaron's job will be to chronicle his life to show his son the man that he was. Joseph begins with tubby time in the bathtub, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a moment. Um it has yep. to it has to be seen to be believed. Joseph looks into the camera and pantomimes giving a baby a bath. Uh this goes on for a while, and the whole thing mm-hmm. yeah, the whole thing climaxes with Joseph pretending to kill himself. But never fear. It's just a prank to scare Aaron. Many more will follow.
1: You know, for patrons, for the right patron level, I will reenact the tubby times.
2: (laughs) If you give us $50,000. Yes. Do it for a quarter. (laughs) I mean, talk about one of the most bizarre things I have ever seen. It's really, this is really where Mark Duplass shines is just in these kind of like Uh, comedic moments where it's like, what the mm -hmm. fuck is happening? I know. Anyways. Yes. Next, we meet Peach Fuzz, a creepy wolf mask that Joseph claims was something he shared with his father, much like tubby time. Hmm, (laughs) got questions. (laughs) Joseph and Aaron go hiking. Though Aaron repeatedly voices concerns, Joseph always has a manipulative answer designed to keep Aaron around out of pity or fear of looking like the bad guy. Returning to the cabin, Aaron's ready to go the fuck home, But Joseph convinces him to stay for one drink. (laughs) Sorry, that that caught me off guard. Okay, (sighs) sorry. Joseph proceeds to manipulate Aaron some more, joking about giving him money. He also nonchalantly tells a horrific story about raping his wife Angela. Very cool.
1: The kind of thing you do. Yeah, you just
2: two guys hanging out, uh, being boys, being boys. (laughs) (laughs) Great. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yep stay tuned for a lot of thought on that <laughs> next aaron can't find his car keys Ruh-roh. sensing danger aaron slips some Benadryl into joseph's drink he finally passes out while joseph sleeps aaron intercepts a call from angela only to find that she's not actually joseph's wife she's his sister she also tells aaron in a concerned tone that he should leave the house right now When Joseph, now suddenly awake, discovers that Aaron knows he's been lying, he tries to block Aaron's exit, while wearing the peach fuzz mask, of course. Aaron attempts to rush out, and the camera short-circuits. The next thing we see is Joseph dragging three trash bags up a hill and digging a hole. ro Question mark? (laughs) (laughs) Turns out this is footage from a DVD Joseph mailed to Aaron, so he knows where he lives. Yike! Aaron gets increasingly creepy gifts from Joseph and starts hearing strange noises in the night. He reports this to police, but they're no help at all. In a final video, Joseph confesses that he knows something is wrong with him, but he doesn't know what to do, and he really needs a friend. He begs Aaron to meet him at, the, at a lake the next day so he can explain himself. Shockingly, Aaron takes the bait, but films himself as an act of security. In a surprise to no one, it doesn't work. Joseph, muffled by the sounds of a chainsaw or motorboat or something out of the lake, sneaks up behind Aaron, puts on the peach fuzz mask, and axes Aaron right in the head. We conclude with Joseph speaking into the camera to the now-deceased Aaron. He tells him that i will always be his favorite, because no matter how horribly he treated him, Aaron really wanted to see the good in Joseph. He takes out Aaron's DVD, marked with a little heart, and returns it to his shelf, stocked with countless other videos labeled with the names of past victims. He's already making plans over the phone with another mark. Cue the title card. Creep! creep. And a
1: great outro song. Yeah, it's really like two.
2: It's a, just a good throbbing ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: If it's not Radiohead or TLC, I approve. <laughs> it
1: is not.
2: <laughs> I love those two creeps. Yes, those are
4: both those. Um, yeah, those, those would have been a little on the nose. <laughs> just a little bit. Maybe yeah. not fitting the tone of the <laughs> right, movie, right, but right. you know so now let's do a feelings check and this is when we share our first experience with this movie and how it makes us feel when we watch it and mike would you care to begin
1: so i love this movie number one i love mark duplass Mm -hmm. he's just just naturally charismatic performer and he gives off as like it's what grandmothers would say like he has a very pleasant face i think if you were to etch something on his tombstone like that's one of the things that might be there um He just gives off this really pleasant vibe, even when he's playing, like, this real asshole. Um, I think I first became familiar with him not through his, like, performances in, like, the Mumblecore and Mumblegore movies, but through the TV show The League, which, oh my god, I love that show. It is the, you know, it would be hard to make now, even though it's only a decade old. I mean, it's completely... Politically incorrect, and if there's like a, mm-hmm. but like the talent on that show, like Mark Duplass, Nick Kroll, Paul Shear, Jason Mantzoukas, Duplass's wife Katie, uh Katie Asselton, to this day, like I will never not laugh uproariously when I watch that.
4: Mm-hmm. The episode where like the the stuffed animal yes, like was waving taco. the knife, oh, to try- so good, <laughs> it's hilarious. And the yeah, dude that who ep- plays the dude who plays
1: Taco, Jonathan lajoy he has, like, a music video, a, a song that's about Friday the 13th Part 5, and the video mirrors a lot of the scenes from that movie. Like, it's really, really? good. Yeah.
4: Hmm, I'll have to check that out. Maybe we'll yeah. link it. <laughs> so
1: I first saw this at the Tell Telluride Horror Show uh, back in, I believe, 2014, like, my second year hosting out there. Um, and, again, like, I love found footage movies uh, to begin with. Like, I just think they're a blast. I'm very much like, I know Mary Beth McAndrews, who was one of our guests, has come on to like professor love for them. And I'm very much like her like team found footage. And this one was just, again, like fantastic. Like um, Patrick Bryce, who wrote, co-wrote and directed this movie and stars in it as Aaron is really wonderful. And this, cause he's just like, he's just complete schlub. Uh, I guess we'll get more into it, but I can, so I guess I could identify with him. And the ending is fantastic. Lastly, like, I rewatched this with my wife a couple years ago, and, like, we were watching it in bed together, and she was like, this movie's not scary, I don't get it, I really, like, I don't see what the big deal is, why is this happening, and then, like, as soon as it was over, she couldn't fall asleep, she kept, like, tossing really? the movie over in her head, and then had, like, a series of increasingly horrific nightmares, and the next morning it was like, yeah, that movie was fucked up, so uh so i love it i love when a movie can do that so i would say like mm-hmm. duplass and like joe swanberg uh are would be like the kind of leading heads that are in like mumble gore like these kind of like low budget more talky horror movies duplass like co-wrote creep creep 2 he co-wrote black rock uh with his uh, starring vehicle for his wife uh katie Asselton, who also she directed that movie
0: Oh, Baghead
1: no. is probably the first one that comes to mind. And he's been a performer in these like low budget genre films, like sci-fi, especially, like Lazarus Effect, which I think is more mainstream, but Safety mm-hmm. Not Guaranteed. And then the one I love, which he co-stars in with Elizabeth Moss. I just so. watched
2: that a few months like <laughs> a few months ago. Yeah. Very strange. It's, yeah, it's yeah.
1: Awesome. yeah. Yeah. Very, very weird movie. Um, but it's an excellent movie. So like I'm very much team Duke Boss and everything.
2: Yeah. I agree with a lot of that. I, you know, Mark Duplass is a delight. I really, you know, especially the first couple times I watched this movie, I just enjoyed the hell out of it, as well as the sequel creep too. Um, I am also team found footage. I I actually saw this for the first time while I was producing a found footage horror comedy, <laughs> which uh, I, I was immediately furious that we didn't think of this simple and like incredibly effective concept versus ours which was too high concept and thus became a total failure because we couldn't pull it off I just watched this and I was like fuck shit fuck why did I not damn it um I also got to see Creep 2 at a film festival in Chicago in 2017 and I got to meet Patrick Bryce um I had I ended up having a really good conversation with him about the female representation in the sequel. Um he was just such a nice and humble guy and he like genuinely seemed to want to know my opinion because it was one one of the first few times it was being shown. I think it was very shortly after it premiered and he, you know, he seemed to really like want to know my perspective as a woman, which I was like, oh cool. And I, you know, I love the the actress in that sequel also. And I think it's a really great vehicle for her. Yeah. So I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this this series. I hope they eventually do a creep three. I, you know, It's just fun. It's a fun, bizarre little movie. And I think that they managed to do so much with so very little. And I'm always impressed by that. And it really does come down to the performance of especially Mark Duplass, but also Patrick Bryce in this. And um, yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah.
4: I also love, love this movie. And I love Mark Duplass. And I think he is just like this movie wouldn't work without him. And I was like, most of this is improvised, Mm -hmm. you know? And apparently there were like 10 to 12 different cuts of every scene, which I would just love to watch. Although I kind of feel like sometimes like when there's director's cuts, like they cut that stuff out for a reason and I don't need to see everything. But I, I just love him so much. He's so like magnetic and charismatic. But there's this something about his eyes. Where like he it's like this really, really fine line between like really friendly and really creepy and scary, you know, and you never quite tell like just this hint of a little squint in his eyes. And you're like, oh, fuck, he's going to kill me, you know, and Mm -hmm. I feel like he just rides that line so well throughout this movie that it's so tense and it's so like it's so familiar. Like I feel like I, I well, I know like I was watching this last night and it specifically reminded me of a couple of people that I used to work with back in college Um, but like I feel like we all know somebody kind of like that you know where you're like I'm just not sure about this it's mm. raising my red flags but like maybe I'm the asshole you know totally he definitely like is so good at portraying that type of like boundary pusher right which is something that we're going to talk about in this episode because I think it ties into um, our theme but I just I remember watching this on Netflix and I'd seen it a couple of times and, and I, I like the image on it but it didn't like with him standing standing in shadows at the top of the stairs, but it never really kind of drew me in. So one day I just watched it and I was so scared. I had to stop this about 10 minutes before the end. And I called my brother and I was like, Hey, you got to watch this movie. Cause he was a big fan of the league. And, but it was really just to kind of like take the pressure off a little bit because like it feels, and we talked about this with them. Um, they look like people. Sometimes I feel like when the movies are so small and so personal, like it really, really affects me and it mm-hmm. gets in, to me, and it just really, really scared me. I fucking love the sequel. I think I like Creep 2 better than I like Creep. The original.
2: I I do, yeah. Oh my god. It's not. It's not to take away from it. It's just that he expanded on the concept, and it makes it more interesting. I think with you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I can't explain it. It's just. Um, I think there's a little bit more going on in Creep
4: Two. I think so too. Yeah, and I mean, I think he expanded on the concept like in a brilliant way. You know, because they are not the same movie twice. Um, and I don't want to go too deep into this, but I love Creep Two because I think it really explores that like. The dangers of like the cool girl thing, you know, like, I'm ignoring all of my red flags because I'm trying to achieve this goal or like, you know, am Mm -hmm. I being too weak if I ignore these things, you know, it's there's a lot uh, to say about that, that we're probably not going to have time to do today. But I also loved it in. I'm going to try not to talk about it too much in this episode because I think this is not the focus of the episode but like I think you can see like his narcissism is challenged in Creep 2 in a way yes, that I don't exactly. necessarily think it is in the first one. So I think like I'm going to pepper we're, we're going to talk about mm-hmm. it just a little bit but try to keep it more to Creep original but you should definitely watch this Yeah, I didn't so have good.
1: a chance to rewatch Creep 2 in preparation for it and I know it's like I do like how it expands on the story and I think you get a more accurate portrayal of who joseph is you get a better feel for who he really Mm is in in this one uh, and i think we'll talk about that when we get into the movie i think like i i do need to rewatch it just because it's a lot of fun i think my issue with Mm -hmm. it is like i just have like a big thing about like influencer culture in general and like the i found like that character was like exploiting the subjects of her videos in a way that made me absolutely uncomfortable but yeah um, well yeah and
2: I think that's yeah. I mean that's the whole premise right it's the only reason she mm-hmm. sticks around mm-hmm. and it ends up by biting her yeah. in the ass you know but yeah, yeah I, I also didn't re-watch it super recently but I reread the synopsis mm-hmm. just to kind of refresh myself on what happened but mm-hmm. um
1: but it yeah. is great yeah. and it does so. like and again like same style of filmmaking but going in a little bit of a different direction rather than just rehashing things. I think kind of like, I think the two Unfriended movies, I think do a really good job of that. Like same mm-hmm. premise, yep. different um, take on it in both movies like stand on their own. So
4: I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, yeah, that's a good comparison. And I love both of those yeah. movies too. When we get to
1: bullying. Mm-hmm. I'm they're just to support. Yeah, when we fan. get to bullying, yes. you know, Unfriended has to be in the mix.
4: Absolutely. Well, speaking of topics, um, let's talk about our mental health topic, which is narcissism. Yay! Yay. <laughs> and I just also want to say, we gave some more information about narcissism mm-hmm. in our American psycho episode. So make sure to check that out. Um, Mike.
1: Yeah. Well, listeners, we like you're in today? for a treat listeners, cause I don't really know anyone more qualified or better at talking about narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I
4: do here. think we're the best <laughs> at, at narcissism. Really
1: <laughs> um, so.
4: It's unbelievable. So since we
1: covered like the, <laughs> we went kind of in depth in like the personality disorders and like that, all the clusters and whatnot, I'm just going to give like a very, very brief synopsis of what the characteristics of narcissistic personality disorder are. It's having this like inflated sense of self-importance, feeling that everything about yourself and everything you are involved with is like top of the line. Like it's the greatest, it's the best, can't get any better than this. It's this demand to be recognized for your accomplishments, like you need to see me for the greatness that I exude at every given moment. Having these feelings of superiority over others, pretty much a total lack of empathy for other people's feelings. And a big one, we saw this, and I think you see this a lot in this movie, you build this fantasy world and you almost live in this fantasy world of like success and achievement and power. They feel that they can only be understood by those of like high status, importance, and influence. And again, another thing I think you see transferred here from like Joseph to Aaron. And I found this quote from Ted Turner, which I found was like really appropriate. He said once, if I only had a little humility, I'd be perfect. And I think that sums up the narcissist like really well. So
4: I think so mm-hmm. too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I looked up a couple things for this episode number one like if you're dealing with a narcissist like what are some things you can do to kind of like alleviate yourself a little bit and then very yeah, like briefly thing, like yeah. some of the difficulties in and some of the breakthroughs in trying to treat narcissism so dive into them really quick this was from an article in psychology today a field guide to narcissism by carl vogel and it deals, and a lot of these tips deal with like narcissism in the workplace. Like we talked about this in American Psycho, where a lot of times what you're finding with narcissists is they're very successful in the workplace. They tend to be yeah. in positions of like management and authority, and they can be extremely painful to deal with. So these first couple yes. tips yep. were uh, from that. Well, the first step I got was like, don't do it. Like, just walk away from it. It's not going to be worth it. Amen. Try to, yeah. <laughs> try to engage with the narcissist. Like, no matter how much you flatter them, no matter how much you kind of like confront them, no matter how much you don't try to give in to them, or conversely, how much you try to appeal to them, it's never going to be enough. And they're kind of like a Hoover vacuum that it's just going to suck up more of your time, more of your energy, and more of your emotional bandwidth. So if yep. possible you can
4: yeah. freddy krueger this you can say i take back every bit of power i gave you <laughs> i
1: thought you were going to say you could stab them with finger knives you can...
4: oh no i mean <laughs> you could yes. i don't know if i would recommend that but <laughs> it might feel a little more satisfying you will probably still go to jail yes probably
1: yeah, probably um the flip side of that same piece of advice is flattery will get you everywhere basically what you're doing is you're indulging their whims at that point Like, you know, you're kind of like letting them buy into their own hype as a way to distract them or kind of deflect them. So if you kind of like butter them up a lot, it lets them kind of absorb in that adulation and it becomes less about them making them try to, you make them do things for them.
2: Can I I do the little voice that just popped into my head? Absolutely. Well, butter my biscuit. Flattering oh, will hit you everywhere.
1: Excellent. Okay. I'm done now. Excellent. A little Al Steiner going on there. I don't
4: know. And I want to say, too, like, we are not saying that is a good way to – that's a good way to protect yes. you from a narcissist. In, the
1: example that was given in this article from the workplace is, like, you. they described a boss that would come in on the Friday before a three-day weekend and drop, like, this project in their laps that says, like, this needs to be done by Tuesday morning. And then, bye guys, I have a golf retreat I have to go to. So you're working through Memorial Day weekend. And what the advice was? well, you know, boss, like without your guidance and leadership, like I just, I don't see how we're going to get this done. We really need your input on this right here. And like, if we could just, I know that golf trip's important. If we could just put this off until, because I, I don't think we can do this without you, you know? And then the, that mm-hmm. just ties, you know, just basically- All right, guys, you're right. Put it off till twos. I guess I'll have to hold your hands through this again. So that that was the idea um, behind it.
4: Mm -hmm. And I've done that and it It works. works. It
1: works very well. (laughs) One thing, like be clear on the quid pro quo, like constantly reiterate your boundaries and saying like, this is what's acceptable. This is what is not acceptable. Don't indulge their whims and don't do what Aaron does in this movie. Like don't constantly give an inch because- that inch does just become a mile. It becomes like an interstate highway of of boundary pushing at that
2: point.
1: And the other thing about it Mm -hmm. was like, you need to constantly remind them like, this is what's in it for me. If I do this for you, as you're asking, this is what I'm gonna get in return. And like, in terms of the workplace, it was things like the bonus, the bump in pay, the extra day off, the personal time, the promotion, like constantly remind them like, this is what's in it for me, get it in writing, Get put it in an email, get them to sign off on it and don't let them divulge. Well, we'll look at that later. Oh, no, motherfucker, we're going to talk about this right now because, Mm -hmm. like, this Mm -hmm. is what we've agreed to.
4: Yeah. That's what I think is key, because we're talking about, we're saying, yes, indulge their whims, but don't indulge their whims. And I just want to mm-hmm. make sure, like, just make sure you know where the line is for you. Yes. Indulge their whims as long as it is not a negative, yeah. mm-hmm. like, consequence for you. You know what I mean? Like, play- yeah. I think of it as playing along, mm-hmm. you know? As right. long as it's not hurting me, I'll just tell him whatever he wants to hear. Right. You
1: know? The reality is, like, there's not an easy way. Like, it's it's no one tact just going to work on every... Person And you know, some things you'll be more successful with than others
4: and every narcissist is different too. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. The last tip I pulled out of this, and there were a lot more. I thought these were like the five or six of the best ones. Ask them to think about what other people would think. So Hmm. if it's something that might harm their reputation, if they're going to engage in a course of action that's going to possibly harm their reputation, they might think twice about carrying that out. And the idea is like play on their sense of what disappointment, not anger feels like. If they feel like other people might be disappointed in them, if they feel like it'll damage their reputation or cause others to feel less about them or how they perceive others feel about them, they may change their course of action at that point. Mm -hmm. So
4: interesting.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting one. I really like that. I'd love to see it in action. I'm not a hundred percent sure how it would work.
4: It, I can tell you from experience, like mm-hmm. one of the ways that I, in a, a former job, would get we could get our boss to do things is we would tell him mm-hmm. what the competitors are doing, you know, mm-hmm. and not like, oh, this is the right thing to do. This is the smart choice. Mm-hmm. This is what our company should be doing. It's are the other are our competitors actually doing this too? Yeah. And that's when it would work. You know, mm-hmm. that's interesting.
1: Yeah. So you know, narcissism can be difficult to treat. We don't talk about Freud a lot in, on this podcast, as some of
3: <laughs> as the, a title. Pair, <laughs> exactly. the
1: title, as a pair of reviewers have um, pointed out in one star reviews saying <laughs> yep. like, they don't actually dive into psychoanalytic theory. Right. I would rather. love for them that just to fair. listen
4: to the show. Yeah. yeah. I
1: think, yeah. <laughs> so again, this is a reminder, please rate, Re- yes <laughs> subscribe rate in a review we need those five star reviews
2: please god so yeah. <laughs> yes please
1: Freud would say like the three about ba- the three barriers to treating narcissism narcissism was like indifference on the part of the party hostility towards the therapist because they're being forced to examine themselves and change and most crucially the in- inability to form attachments to other people those have made it very difficult in early psychoanalytic analytic theory to really treat narcissism i think freud had basically in his last major work threw up his hands and said at this stage in where we are with psychology we just can't do it like it's where the means aren't there yet we're gonna need to find like different ways of treating this particular (laughs) disorder
2: it's a good insight you know yeah yeah
1: which i like i i you know we'll talk about this very briefly like i have a lot of problems with like reading specific treatments to specific diagnoses, because it becomes like a checkbox almost. Like, oh, you have this, just do these things and you'll be fine. Like it's not one size fits all. The narcissist will often feel like nothing is wrong with them and the problem is other people. They just don't understand their greatness. Therapy is beneath them and they head into it as a way to like challenge the therapist. Like they're gonna show how they're smarter than their therapist. Or conversely, what they'll do is like be overly like flatter the therapist and try to impress them and have the therapist say, like, I don't know why you're here. There seems to be nothing wrong with you. It's really everybody else.
3: Mm -hmm. They're not really
1: going into it with like an open mind or an open heart. And the really like the things like therapy only works if you're committed to making a change. You know, if it's kind of forced upon you, then it's probably not going to be super successful a lot of the time.
4: We had talked in earlier episodes like about how I had this really kind of fundamental under- misunderstanding of cognitive behavior therapy. Mm-hmm. And it's because it was explained to me by a narcissist <laughs> yeah. who I think used that thought process to try to like pa- overpower his, his empathy towards others is mm-hmm. it was just this whole method of control, which is not what it actually is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's positive. Yeah,
4: but they'll talk a good game about therapy, and oh yeah, I'm I'm woke, I'm empathetic, mm-hmm. I know what I'm saying, but yeah. yeah,
2: I mean a lot of them are, you know, just because you're a narcissist doesn't mean you're stupid. You know how to like sometimes they can yep. be very intelligent and, and absorb all the right language, and but then actually just be a total fucking asshole.
1: I can be like I know for me with like as a therapist, like I once I and I tell every client up front, like once we get to know one another, like I will challenge you. Like, I won't do it early on quite so much because, like, we're still building that relationship and I want you to feel comfortable. But, like, once we've been here a while, like, I'm going to have no problem challenging some of your distorted thinking.
2: And um, that's what a therapist, in my opinion, should do. Otherwise, why am yeah, I right. going? Obviously, I exactly. failed to challenge my own problems, you know, so that that's the whole point. <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. But I think, like, some are surprised when they hear that. Like, what? You know, yeah, like, I'm going to, you know, if you say something and, and, and I will... I don't want to say that I'm sometimes harsh, but I can put things in a way that can be like very blunt. If I feel the person could absorb it and reflect on it, then I can be like, do that, you know, like just very upfront with the person. I don't want to give like specific examples because I don't want anything that could identify like any of my clients because that's not fair to them. But like, just you know, well, that, if anyone ever.
2: Yeah. Well, that's how my therapist is with me, and I love it. I mean, sometimes she really pisses me off, and I don't mm-hmm. always like one hundred percent agree with her. But I really, really no. appreciate having that force, like, because I feel like that—that's no. what I, I you know, you just need it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's like I've had one. Th- I had one therapist for a while who just like listened and like kind of went mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and yeah. I'm like, why am I here? Like, I, yeah. I, I, I like that. My, my, my therapist, my long-term therapist is. It just like she fucking challenges me and it
1: and I yeah. need that, yeah. And and I love it. Like if I make an observation and they're like, nope, that's completely wrong. I'm like, well, what is it then? And then they actually think about it and it's not the direction that I thought we were going in, but it's caused them to kind of go, well, actually it's this. And it's just yeah. like, yeah. it opens up like, and that's their own discovery at that point, which is kind of fantastic. Like it's really, mm-hmm. I got uh, the closest example I'll give is like, I have a person who like avoided dealing with their trauma by like talking about the day-to-day minutiae. And I actually pointed out, I'm like, I feel like we're using this minutiae every week to avoid the stuff you're actually here to talk about. And it's been X amount of time. I think we need to start putting that away. And, you know, we need to devote, this is what we're really here for. And they're like, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And it's been the past few months have been like, you know, they're just, they're doing the, like the best way I can put it, it's like, I'm continuously impressed by like how much they're doing the work. Yeah.
4: I've done that in therapy and my therapist has told me that. It's like, why are you telling me every detail of yesterday? What do you really not want to talk about? Yeah.
1: You know, because you're kind of putting things off at that point. Yeah, I think about it
4: as circling.
1: Mm -hmm. So I found a few articles on like treating narcissism and some of the challenges. Um, This was from a paper called the Ubiquity and Relativism of Narcissism. Therapeutic inc- Implications, was published in 1993, Narcissism and the Impersonal Self. For the record, I can't wait till we move on to a topic that is easier for me to pronounce. Your <laughs> God. Okay, this is from Hirsch. Uh, historically, patients have been divided into analyzable and unanalyzable, based to a degree on the extent of narcissistic involvement. Those individuals who were perceived as es- essentially narcissistic were considered too immature or developmentally arrested to benefit from psychoanalysis. Psychoanalytic technique was thought to be too austere and depriving, as well as too verbal for the more contact hungry narcissistic patient. Further, it was believed that such narcissistic individuals could not form a transference to the analyst, so that they were not sufficiently personally related to do so. It often seemed that anyone whom the analyst could not relate was deemed narcissistic and unanalyzable. Mm-hmm. So Just kind of for like a, a couple things.
2: Oversimplific- mm-hmm. It's kind of like an oversimplification, but kind of on the right track, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. and I think the idea behind it was like sometimes as a, as a therapist, you have like certain personalities that you jibe with yeah. and you're able to treat them and form that bond. And if not, it's often the therapist will say well i'm not the problem they're the problem when it's understandable sometimes like your methodology or your way of communicating just doesn't jibe with what the client needs at that point but also like for the narcissist like not being able to form that bond in some cases and not allowing themselves that openness is going to be one of the things that could stand in the way the breakthrough with narcissism there was a, a psychoanalytic practitioner, Heinz Kohat. He taught Freudian theory. He struggled to see how it could apply to the narcissist. And he developed this kind of rubric of self psychology tied into the development uh, of oneself, as opposed to like the classical Freudian drives of like ego, aggression, and the libido. Like, so rather than be about our outward drives as an adults, It was more the kind of the inward things that we were looking for as really as babies. Mm -hmm. His idea was the affection and connections baby received from parental figures is crucial to the emotional survival and development of the self. Kohut uh, referred to this as like self object needs, and it basically they serve as a way to regulate one's emotions. Uh, Over time, you know, when a parent kind of comforts us as a baby, when they feed us, when we cry out, when they change us, when we're, when we've soiled ourselves, um, that is giving us like the kind of comfort we need for our support. Over time, like babies learn to internalize that comfort Mm -hmm. and they learn to self-soothe. So sucking on a pacifier, playing with their favorite toy, getting their favorite blanket, are always like developmentally that like babies and toddlers learn to kind of self-soothe his three the three concepts behind meeting the self-object needs were things like parents offering soothing and praise so think of this as like art on the fridge like as a kid you bring your parents like a drawing that you made and your parents praise you for it. oh we love it you're so talented look at your we're going to put this in the fridge so everybody can see it idealization Someone that as a child you can gain, sorry, you can admire and then gain values from, develop a code of ethics and your beliefs from. So if your dad was like a firefighter, you might realize like, that's a really important job. Like I want to be a firefighter too when I grow up. But also just basically where we learn our values from and getting that from parental figures. And then finally, there was like the alter ego or mirroring. So think of like the kid that is like at the bathroom sink with dad shaving, pretending to shave when dad is shaving, or, you know, kids that choose to kind of maybe dress with a similar style as their parent as they're growing up. If those things aren't done as a child, then a individual as they grow older, they're going to s- basically, they're going to seek that kind of admiration or they're going to seek that basically approval um, through narcissistic means potentially at that point. They're going to become, hey, look at me and look how great that I am at that point because they never received it from a parent. That's a potential mm-hmm. underlying cause of narcissism. Narcissism.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think it's a good insight. And it, what it reminds me of is like, he, I'm assuming had this insight prior to the early 20th century, if he was like a student of Freud, I'm not totally sure what his, but, but I mean, this makes
1: 1970, I think 1971 was his first. Cause he was teaching Freudian theory for a long time mm. and then was like realizing like it didn't apply to his clients with like narcissistic traits, the, the mm. Freudian theory.
2: It makes me, th- I mean, maybe it was concurrent with or after them because it makes me think of those studies they did, uh, With the monkey and the like steel monkey mother, Mm -hmm. like the one made out of like metal versus the one made out of cloth, and they would, the baby monkeys would seek comfort always from you know the cloth. And when they when they Mm -hmm. were put with the like steel monkey, they had developmental problems. They were anxious. You know, I think a lot of it is to do with like when you're a baby, like your stress hormones like flood your body, and if if you're not being soothed by the parental figure, it causes all kinds of developmental. Issues, you know, including personality issues like narcissism, um, mm-hmm. antisocial, personal, mm-hmm. you know, all these kind of things. That yep. get, uh, so, I just think it's an interesting insight, you know, because it, mm-hmm. it is kind of backed by like cognitive science and like biological mm-hmm. science. Sorry. Absolutely, yeah. and
1: I'm not familiar, I'll be honest, I'm not familiar with that study, but I mean, it makes. Perfect sense, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, mean, I just
2: googled it because I couldn't remember exactly. It was a mm-hmm. it was a guy named um, Harry Harlow, and it looks like he did those studies in the 1930s. It's just something that i like, mm-hmm. really I remember from like psychology, 101 one that really stuck with me because it had like mm-hmm. you know all these images with it with the little baby monkeys clutching onto the like yeah. steel monkey mother and all this. So, uh, but I think it's it's re- it's, I've, it's something I've always found really interesting, and I think that there you can't understate the importance of those first few years of life and like physical contact yeah. and all that. So,
1: yeah. Nope, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So on that, on Kohat's theories, Jessica Nagum from her article, Narcissism, Heinz Kohat's thoughts on self-love. And I actually, we could probably link uh, yeah. to the article because it's right on depth counseling. So I'm just going to pop that in our notes here. Oh, perfect. Little yes. excerpt from that. When children are met with a caregiver who is rejecting or criticizing or who has unrealistic expectations, They might go on to present with what Kohat and Wolf called a mirror-hungry personality. Those children feel hungry for affirmation and often seek out ways to fulfill this this unmet unmet need as adults. They might behave in ways to evoke attention from others with the hope to counteract their lack of self-esteem. For example, they might upload attention-grabbing photos or selfies on social media To garner likes from family members, friends, and strangers in order to establish a sense of self esteem. Adults with ideal hungry personality, according to Kahut and Wolf, search out others whom they can admire for their prestige, power, or moral stature. They tend to attach to a person whom they admire until that person inevitably disappoints them. When the idealized person disappoints, ideal hungry adults will often leave the relationship and continued to search for a new idealizable person in order to feel secure in their self-esteem. So I found that was like a really kind of like a great look into like a person who didn't get what they needed from their home life, like creating it for themselves and then creating this idea of like wanting to present in a certain way so others would idealize them. But, and I think we saw this in both American Psycho and in Creep, our protagonist understood deep down that there was like nothing there there mm-hmm. yeah and kind of like mirroring mirroring traits they thought people would admire but they didn't actually possess them
2: and in, yeah. and in creep joseph sort of puts Aaron on this bizarre pedestal that doesn't make any sense you know and like any any sort of is like anytime he would see a, a sort of rejection from Aaron like you didn't keep that creepy locket I gave you like how fucking dare Mm -hmm. you I'm gonna kill you because you failed to live up to this ideal in my head um which I you know and it it's just very creepy yeah
3: and
4: when I've talked in therapy about my dad like we've kind of broached a little bit the subject of like he may have had some kind of childhood trauma Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. like there, like we both I my therapist and I we both kind of in talking about everything we're like there's something that is causing a lot of this or something underneath the surface. He's never mentioned anything about that, but I know he has kind of a contentious relationship with his family, Mm -hmm. partly because he's a narcissist and that's just how they tend to relate. But like, and I can feel a lot of, pity for him in that way but we also kind of have talked about and that's something I kind of want to say about narcissists I think I tend to look at them as really bad people you know really bad guys like they've kind of become this monster in my mind you know and I think the reason is because I've just been really hurt by narcissists yeah. and I think they like and, and I just want to say like there's there's a balance to that like I can feel pity for this person and also say yes but I also have felt a lot of pain because of them too. And it's okay for me to say that. And I don't have to just mm-hmm. abandon all of that pain to pity this person, but they, they are real people and they do have yeah, they, their own issues.
2: Yeah, you know? it, it makes me think of a quote from Marcus Parks on last podcast on the left. Cause he's talked a lot about his own mental health issues on that show. And he says like, you know, mental illness isn't your fault, but it is your responsibility, mm, mm-hmm. which is like, I thought it was just like a really w- good way to put it because like, yeah, of course, you know, a lot of people with these, these disorders, like narcissism can get characterized as just like monsters, irredeemable monsters. And I yeah. I think, I think we have just not figured out how to treat it yet, but mm-hmm. a, a lot of it does stem from trauma and that is valid. And they are people You yeah. shouldn't necessarily just, you know, demonize right. them, but You also have to take care of yourself and set your boundaries and and you can't Mm -hmm. accept being abused. That's never okay.
4: Right. Where we've come down to it right now is um, I feel like, uh, yes, one day I'm going to tackle my feelings of pity for my dad after I feel like I am in a stable place to really try to understand how he feels. Because, like, my entire life was spent trying to guess how he was going to feel. like, nope. Part of my recovery right now is saying I don't have to. So totally you know, yeah. and that's just... completely
1: and valid. I think it's a very natural thing that if like a person who exhibits like very specific personality traits hurts you, then you're going to look at others and exhibit some of those personality traits the same way. And you're mm-hmm. gonna have you know certain and very specific feelings about them and whether that's you want to write those persons off or not and i think it's important like we don't really owe anyone our time we don't really owe anyone our emotional support like you don't owe it to a person i do think that that's a thing that is like really earned and it's yeah you need to put yourself first and you need to like protect your own boundaries and if you're someone that makes you feel uncomfortable or afraid because they're behaving in a certain way like you know, it's okay to explore why that is and what you need to do to protect yourself and to be safe. And then finally, like, you know, I think a lot of persons exhibit narcissistic traits. I mean, like I've said, you know, Mm -hmm. half jokingly, you have three of us in a Sunday morning recording (laughs) our thoughts in a movie, (laughs) you know, thinking that like people, you know, really want to hear them. So there's a bit of narcissism (laughs) that goes into that. There's a difference, I think, between exhibiting some traits and, like, being diagnosable. Right. Those are two different things. So I just kind of want to be clear on that. Like, we all have our So Yeah, it's
4: like kind of a spectrum, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I think that wraps up, like, the topic of the mental health. And honestly, like, that was the A standard. Absolutely the gold standard. There's
2: <laughs> never so, been any oh, better talk oh, about Only the video. best for this Supreme podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes.
4: No, I do. I love everything that you brought to this conversation today especially because I think narcissism it's not just like I know a narcissist and he made me feel bad you know there's Mm -hmm. a lot more levels to dealing with it sometimes you can choose to walk away and sometimes you can't sometimes like Mm -hmm. if your paycheck if your livelihood depends on having a paycheck and your boss is a narcissist you can't just walk away from that job Well, so let's talk about this movie. Um, I don't know if I necessarily would have pegged this for narcissism, but on the rewatch when I'm specifically looking for it, I can definitely see it. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think right off the bat, like he is paying someone to film him all day long because he thinks that and he, <laughs> he is going to be interesting enough to provide content for an entire day. And, you know, most people are pretty cool, but it's rare that you can be that interesting for that sustained period, you know?
2: I. I thought, yeah, I was also struggling a little bit to see this as like classic or obvious narcissism, especially in contrast to American Psycho, which is so on the nose. Mm-hmm. I, I think the central thing that did strike me as narcissistic this time around is that he produces these elaborate videos that star himself mm-hmm. and his victims. That's kind of like his trademark, as evidenced by all the videos we see at the end of the film. Um, you could argue that these are just like serial killer trophies. He's just a psychopath serial killer, like in the in the vein of a Hollywood serial killer. but those are really like a huge liability yeah joseph's need to produce a film for every murder that like revolves around him to me makes him more more oh oh, my lord more (laughs) narcissistic than like your garden variety serial killer um and in that way he reminded me a little bit of the killer the real life killer luca magnata the serial killer Uh, he's covered in that questionable documentary don't fuck with cats um which has a lot of elements i don't Mm. love but i do think that the core of that case is really interesting in the way that he was obsessed with like cinema and making himself kind of like the star of his a movie Mm -hmm. in his own head Mm. um that case that's what really turned me
4: off of true crime yeah it was just so disturbing yeah
2: i could see it yeah. Maybe partly
4: because there's a narcissist and I am triggered by narcissists. Yeah. So. yeah that guy is a lot <laughs> yeah. to deal
2: with. So, and I think it's interesting that at the end of the doc, they did say that like he, and I read a little bit, he's in prison. He seems to be doing better on like a cocktail of like, very, like antidepressants and psychiatric medications. Like, and when I say better mm-hmm. is that he's like calmed down a lot. I'm just interested in that, you know, but I, I yeah. don't really have any further thoughts. So... <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: Well, I love that we're doing this in contrast to American Psycho, because I feel like this is more like the narcissists that most of us know, you know, maybe not killing and making videotapes about it. But like there are so many people that I said, oh, yeah, they do something like that. Oh, yeah, they do something like it feels so familiar, which is why I think it's important to talk about this. And it's kind of like what we said about a spectrum of narcissism. Like you might know somebody who is maybe just does overshare in kind of a manipulative way that doesn't make them like a classic narcissist that you should necessarily avoid. I think it's just important to be aware and set boundaries. Yeah, You know, those
2: traits it's like this movie heightens it to the point where he's actually murdering people. But I think we've all been in that situation where someone doesn't seem to be listening to you, no matter what you say. And it's like what Mike said, like if you give an inch, they take a mile like Mm -hmm. that is, you see that so much in the interplay between Joseph and Aaron in this movie where Aaron is kind of this like schlubby guy that's clearly never encountered someone like this before and has like no skills for navigating it, and he's just a nice guy and is like, oh, to the point where he gets himself killed, and and I think that's a mm-hmm. that's a really interesting kind of metaphor for what it's like to 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 interact with someone like this, where like if you mm-hmm. you can get can, your own self can be completely obliterated in in their path.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. One of the when you watch this movie back, like I had a hard time rewatching it. Like sometimes fitting it within, like the narcissistic trope, although there are definitely things that are there that push it. But I I have the idea of like, if you listen to it from like just like if Aaron was telling me this story, like over a cup of coffee, like about this guy that he met, I might be like, yeah, he's a bit uncomfortable and a bit of an odd duck you know, until you get to some of the things that are really disturbing, but you just be like, why not just cut him off? Like, it just seems like Aaron does completely lack any sort of like social awareness or (laughs) any sort of like protective skills at all. Like,
4: yeah. Well, I think Aaron is codependent.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it struck me more this time than in any past rewatchings where I was like, dude, you were being stupid as fuck. Like, stop, get out of there. Like, you know, and even just, I mean, and and- Joseph, the DePlace character, says it in the film. Like at the end, he's like, "Why didn't you even look behind you? Like you weren't right, even looking." Right. At, like, you know. And it's because, and in his mind, he he wraps it into this idealized version that he has of Aaron, which is like, "You're just the best. You, you wanted to see the good in me, and you're such a pure soul," you know. Whereas, like, I mm. don't really think that was it. <laughs> like, I I think that no. that's it's a little more complex than that, Joseph. You know, yeah. you know. But but it, it, that dynamic is really interesting.
4: Yeah, the way, the thing that really struck me and that really reminded me of a couple of people that I used to work with years and years ago is um, the way that Joseph would emotionally manipulate him and continually press boundaries Mm -hmm. because it's like there is, there's an understanding of empathy. There's an understanding of these social norms because he plays with them and he's like getting off on Mm -hmm. saying, can I go in for this hug right now or is he going to back away? You know, is that something he's going to allow me to do? Like he's got his dick out 10 minutes into their meeting, Mm -hmm. you know? That's why just the way be out that he... the door. Just for the record, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I do. It's one of the things I love about the second movie is they do specifically address that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but the way that he talks about it, he's like, "Oh no, I'm not the weird one. You're the weird one for having a problem with this." Mm-hmm. And that's something that I kept encountering with this person. Like I would set a boundary. I would say this made me uncomfortable, and then he would have this sad story about how he's really the victim. Yeah. And how dare I set a boundary? Like like the the. Sorry, I'll stop for a minute.
2: <laughs> no, and yeah. I think that's a really common experience with this this kind of personality type. I think it's also, I mean, I, I I think if I was analyzing, if again this was real life and I was analyzing Joseph, you know, I would be like, this guy's actually a psychopath. Like he is mm-hmm. yeah. a full blown psychopath. I don't think you can really argue with that. But he's a but psycho psychopathy can have narcissistic traits yes mm-hmm. and i and i think that that is really what's going on here because he is manipulating in order to really commit violence and he clearly gets off on this and it's a cat and mouse game for him yeah. But I again, I think because this is heightened for a horror film, I think you can see a lot of those traits and be like, that's, nurse. you know, you can recognize those traits in some somebody you might encounter at work or somebody you might try to start dating. And these are all mm-hmm. very big red flags.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think what's yeah. important in this movie, too, is like everything Joseph tells Aaron is a lie. So there's like, so even the stories that he tells Joseph, like over the, you know, the the story about him and his wife. Well, that's not his wife. That's his sister.
2: And did any of it even happen? Or did he just make it up to freak out Aaron, like everything else he does? Yeah.
1: like the peach fuzz mask like is that really his mask or is that something like when he rented the cabin like that mask just happened to be in there and Mm -hmm. he kind of invented these stories on the spot because like one thing i noted like watching it this time around there's like two or three times where Aaron talks about his father Mm -hmm. he's like oh yeah these paintings are things i used to do with my dad and this mask is something my dad would wear that he would sing this like little song and then he does the song yeah. and the dance and so you could see like just to me it felt like joseph kind of inventing stories on the spot totally. like being very oh, quick-witted yeah. it's so, it
2: reminds me a little of like the heath ledger joker you know like where did i get these mm-hmm. scars you know um uh, yeah. but, right. but also yeah. uh, you know it's interesting because in creep 2 he calls himself aaron uh, yep. So that makes me wonder if some of these things that he's doing, um, like if he calls himself Joseph, maybe that was the name of a recent victim. Maybe all these mm-hmm. stories that he's telling are things that he picked up because, again, it's the maze without a center thing. He kind of just puts mm-hmm. on these masks and takes on these traits because he yeah. has no like identity. Yeah,
4: I was watching that song and I was like nobody has ever sung that song. No one will ever be able to sing that song again. That is not a melody you can grasp onto. He made that shit up on the spot. Which yeah. one, I got to give credit to Mark Duplass because it's just like that's some really high level improv, you know. But also like it's it's kind of like when it got to the song, I was like he's just fucking with him to see how much he will believe, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's like that cat and mouse like how far can I push you? How much can will you let me get away with, you yeah. know? And it also mm-hmm. the part that really reminded me of American Psycho is the part when he's talking about, oh, you I think you need money. Like there's a check in your boot, you know, compared to when uh, Patrick Bateman is talking to the unhoused person and like, oh, I'm going to help you. And then it, he just like rips it away. And it's like just mm-hmm. really playing with these emotions just to get a response, you know.
2: Yeah, and I mean that seems to be how he gets a lot of his victims is via financial financial manipulation, Mm -hmm. and so he it's in that way he finds vulnerable people that he's able to fuck with and keep and kind of imprison them in a way like I'm gonna keep you in this location and you know and see how see how long you'll stick around and the longer you stick around the more obsessed I'm gonna become with you because it reflects on. I, I don't know. It's that's where it gets a little messy yeah. in my yeah. head. But yeah. I
1: think what's interesting when you think about narcissism and the idea that like they surround themselves with people that they find are like top of the line and high class and kind of like the cream of the crop, like the best of the best in whatever field they're in. That like like you just said, Laura, like they're he's finding like financially vulnerable people, and like there's nothing about Aaron that stands out in any way you know i mean like Mm -hmm. even watching like the footage of these shoots it's not particularly compelling footage like it's no not not at all you know what i mean like there's nothing about the way he frames it there's nothing about his ability to pull out like uh, any of us could have been like the cinematographer in this movie i think like if i were holding a camera this is probably what it would end up looking like and i think that's very deliberate on patrick bryce's part So like Joseph has gone out of his way to imbue Aaron with all of these wonderful characteristics, which to be quite honest, like really aren't there. Like I think Aaron is a very flawed character and a very Mm -hmm. awkward human being. Mm -hmm. And I think like one of the Rick, why does Aaron like meet Joseph at the end of the movie and basically gets himself killed? Or why does he just keep buying into things is he's like a very deeply lonely person mm-hmm. himself like mm-hmm. you never see him interact with anybody else outside of joseph in this movie there's no friends he talks to there's no he mentions an ex at one point and that's about it there's yep. no one else in his life so you have this person who is like deeply seems like they're deeply lonely and that's maybe why they feel so drawn to joseph even when they're exactly. terrified by him
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting that the thing that gets him to show up to the lake is Joseph saying, I'm just so lonely and I need a friend. It's almost like he knew that's the thing Mm -hmm. that would get him to show up, Mm -hmm. like because he knows that that's actually he's actually just being Aaron when he says that Mm -hmm. you know he he picked up on him about that because part of me was like the first time I watched this I'm like I wonder if when he said that it was actually kind of true even though he is a killer because he does this whole thing about like wolves and like wolves kill the things they love you know but actually there's this beautiful heart inside them I especially after watching it this time I think that's complete bullshit that like you said he made up on the fly Mm -hmm. but you know there's you know part of you that when you see see it in narrative like this you want to believe like well maybe he he's kind of telling the truth, even mm-hmm. though he is like a murder, a murderous piece of shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He actually does feel that way inside. But, uh, you know, especially after this time and in the context of narcissism, I'm like, no, he doesn't. He was just manipulating this guy and he he had a mark and, and he was
3: correct yeah. in, in well, And it's
4: funny. It's like, I think he knows that's how he should feel. You know, that's like what a human with emotions would feel and that's mm-hmm. why they would respond in this way. And it's like, I think about that with tubby time too. like you're seeing him like reenact things a human with emotions would do knowing that he doesn't have this you know and it's then there's like a sadness there too it's like I kind of want to feel this way but I just don't you know.
2: And it's and it's part of why it feels so bizarre and chilling is because it feels like this facsimile of human emotions like daddies take tubbies with their baby. And and it's just like not like that, like what are you doing like yeah yeah and and it it just adds to that, you know, because you can always kind of tell it's like that. And this more is more psychopathy, but that like, they say like a glib superficial charm where again, like they will watch people and know how to imitate certain things. And, but then like, if you really spend any time with them, it's like, there's something missing behind the eyes and it just gives you, and that, that's to me, that's like that lizard brain, like pay attention to your gut instincts. Cause I've definitely encountered people like that where you're like, something doesn't feel Mm -hmm. right. And the only times I've ever gotten into trouble with people is by ignoring that gut Mm -hmm. instinct, you know? And so it's like, If you ever feel that way, just get out, Mm -hmm. walk out.
4: Yeah, yeah, like, you are allowed to set boundaries. And that's the thing that's interesting because if you look at the way Patrick treated Jean, like, constantly, like, nagging her, you know, it's kind of the opposite here. Like, he is really trying to build Aaron up and make him, like, give him this sense of, like, feeling like a really good person. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm helping out this troubled man. I'm really good. He's trying to, like, butter him up, you know, and then to rip it away, you know? It's just Mm so Mm -hmm. fucking manipulative and really challenging. Chilling. Once you see it, like in once you rewatch this, and you know from the beginning none of this is true, it's really, really yeah. chilling. You know,
2: it's it's really weird to watch, and I, and I think that um, I don't I don't really have a fully baked thought here, but I think there's something interesting in the gender dynamic of of approaching these two characters, mm-hmm. those two different ways. Like I see this like schlubby you know cis white dude and he's just you know he obviously has like no he's never been in an experience like this before where he doesn't have any of those red flags that go off Mm -hmm. so I can easily manipulate him that way but this is what he needs in order to get him to stay and this is what she needs in order to get her to stay because she does this bizarre web series Mm -hmm. she's got her own self-esteem issues so he knows by like negging her and doing things that way that that will it's like he really has sort of a sixth sense for understanding what makes people tick and then knowing how to push those buttons yeah that's really really creepy. which <laughs> is really <laughs>
4: close to empathy but it's mm-hmm. not because he yeah. doesn't actually care how they feel he cares about it to further his own needs to make himself this master manipulator and like i the other thing that i wanted to talk about is he's constantly trying to scare joseph like jump scares you know <laughs> it's so silly it like, really is yeah. and it's funny but it also gets you a couple of times because it's yep. just out of the blue, and it's funny to see that yeah. play out in Creep, too, because like she is not down for that, and he right. just kind of looks at yeah. her, He's like, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna crack you at some point, and that's when yep. you see that really creepy look in his eyes, you know? Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, a challenge, exactly.
1: what <laughs> like, got my daughter last night because she watched like the this movie with me, uh, like she's missed the first 10 minutes and then like caught the rest of it when he appears in the door in the window. Mm. When you just said uh, she, like, oh my god, like, absolutely, like jumped at that part i think that's one of the best almost like carpenter-esque like halloween type scares in the in the movie like it's really wonderful
2: that was the moment that got me the first time Mm -hmm. i watched it i was like oh fuck and
1: like
4: you know but then it's like am i the asshole from being scared you know and it's like this go ahead
1: i don't know i think of a guy appears outside your doorway he's peering in the window in the middle of the night after sending you a knife You've earned the right to be scared. That oh, point.
4: I thought we were talking about the time when he jumps in the window at the very beginning, like in the car Oh, window. no. <laughs> oh,
1: just... you definitely should be. Yes. Yeah. You definitely, yeah.
2: Reg- regardless. But yeah, especially if they show up at your house at night. Yes. Then be, be, yeah. be scared. Yeah. And he is scared. Like, I
4: feel like he does. It's, it's just, it's so fascinating that he shows back up at the lake after that, you mm-hmm. know? And I wonder yeah. what would it's have happened. Like... like, what was the rest of the story if he had not showed up, you know? Right. Right. And I mean, I believe it and I couldn't, I can't say I wouldn't right. do the same thing, although I'm pretty sure I probably wouldn't given my experiences now, mm-hmm. but you yeah. know, 10 years ago, maybe, Um, the other thing that I wanted to clock was this weird sense of humor he has like he thinks it's just hilarious to like threaten to or like pretend to kill himself in the middle of this conversation and oh oh, it's just a joke that's just how I joke and really reminded me of somebody that I used to wait tables with who would always say oh it's just like gallows humor we call it gallows humor and Mm -hmm. it's just like I'm just used to making these weird jokes and they were jokes about like beating women you know they were not funny jokes especially given the fact that I had told him about my own history in an abusive relationship and then but the way he would explain it was I was the bad person for having a problem with this and this is how he relates to the hardness in his life and that's Joseph he's like I'm but I'm dying of cancer so I'm Mm -hmm. allowed to say whatever I want and I don't care how you feel about it and you're the bad guy for having a problem
1: and I think when it when it comes to that I think it's okay to have that kind of humor if everybody else is on the same page
3: Yep. Like as long as like
1: everyone's on the same page and like, and for that person in certain dynamics, like, okay, if that's your experience at work and everybody, and I literally mean everybody, I mean like every person Mm -hmm. is comfortable with it and is on board, then I can respect that because I tend to have like a very sarcastic sense of humor myself and I can Mm be, Mm -hmm. and I can be kind of a weirdo, but you know, I I know when to dial it back and make, if i'm yeah. making someone uncomfortable i'm like all right around this group or this dynamic like it's not going to fly it's my responsibility to not make this person uncomfortable it's not this person's responsibility to get comfortable
2: yeah exactly and i that's what i hate about that whole mentality of like well you can't even be funny anymore mm-hmm. and stuff like i have a very dark sense of humor i fucking I mean, I'm a comedy writer, but that's the other thing is like you learn to tune your jokes to your audience, you know, and if you don't do that then you lack an essential thing that actually makes someone funny, which is empathy Mm -hmm. because you have to understand all those little subtle social dynamics to actually be a humorist or to to write things that are actually going to resonate with people. And if you, if someone explicitly tells you, this makes me uncomfortable and I have, you know, I would feel horrible. I feel like any decent person, if I made a joke about something and then somebody was like, actually, like I, you know, this person, you just made a suicide joke and I just lost my best friend to suicide. Cause I definitely make like little like suicide Mm -hmm. jokes to my, myself and stuff Mm -hmm. but it's you know it's my own way of dealing with my depression and stuff like Mm -hmm. that but like if somebody told me that I would feel horrible I would instantly stop and apologize I just cannot fathom not reacting that way well and I finally told
4: him like yes I understand that but I don't work with you yeah you know we're not exactly we're not part of this dynamic yeah Mm
1: -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I you know I know like just doing the show I know like based on our dynamic and based on like you know what jen and Laura, like what you've both talked about there are certain things that i am comfortable about joking about that i would never joke about here in this show be you know or in our text threads when we're preparing for shows because i'm like or sometimes i will phrase something this way in other parts of my life but based on the conversation and based on what i know like this is how i'm going to speak to this person or text this person because, like, we're, like, an equal dynamic right here. And it's really important for me to kind of respect that. And I know, like, other times, like, we use humor to deflect our own. And we use it as a way to get in front of something. Like, yeah. I make a lot of jokes about weight because I'm a larger person.
4: Oh, I think I'm funny because I grew up feeling like shit all the time. You know? That's, like, what I oh, hang same. my humor I mean, on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. You
1: same. Know, it's not a... Um, you know, it's not a way for like me to give you an in to make jokes about it. It's a way for me to like get it out of the way at that point, And then hopefully right. it won't become a thing. And I was, you know, we were talking off air, like we're rereading it. Like we just covered chapter one and I'm listening to the audio book. And like, I know when the losers club talked about the book they talked about a lot of language used around like the larger women in the book and oh how my it god it's driving me crazy um, and <laughs> i never really noticed it before and then on this reread or re-listen i'm like king is really shitty to myra and yeah. this is cast yeah right
2: it's it's driving me because i especially am really sensitive to that and it's like again like stephen king you may not be the most handsome man in the world but you're not a fat woman so Mm -hmm. fuck off talking about shit like put down the cocaine I get I'm talking to like 80s (laughs) Stephen King right now contemporary Stephen King but like it's just like there's just I've always had this issue with him where it's just like you're so close to being great but can we just edit some editor needed to tell you to like fucking shut the fuck up at this moment because it is yeah just like just tweak it tweak it a little bit tone it down Yeah. And but that's that
4: empathy that we're talking about. It's like when you Mm -hmm. make jokes like that, regardless of who's in the room with you, it's like, I'm the only one who matters. And I think this is funny. So everyone else will, too. You know, Mm
2: -hmm. and it's like, yeah, comedy is is all about testing boundaries and you're going to step in it sometimes, but just apologize and desist as soon as somebody Mm -hmm. is like this upset me you know like it's not that hard well okay
4: and that's another thing i want to talk about because joseph i think uses apologies as manipulation also you know because the thing the key thing is you have to apologize and then not do it again you know yeah exactly anything if you immediately keep doing
2: the thing that you're apologizing right and (laughs) it's like
4: every time he apologizes he's like oh I'm sorry I took these pictures of you as you were driving up it's because I was so nervous oh don't you feel sorry for me you know it's shifting Mm -hmm. the focus back to him it's not I'm sorry I made you uncomfortable because he doesn't care how he feels he's still trying to just get that power back you know Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like when because one of the things my dad never does is apologize. And uh, so and I feel really uncomfortable with apologies for that reason, because every time they actually happen, they feel really manipulative. And I'm like, okay, you're saying you're sorry here. But what are you what's the catch? You know, what what are you going to try to stick me Mm -hmm. with later? You know, and he Mm -hmm. just does that constantly.
2: There's a transactional nature to everything with a narcissist exactly. and like and and it's like Mike was saying earlier in that advice column, it's like it has to be this quid pro quo because that's how they the only way they know how to relate to the world, and as long as you have like a assigned statement that's like this is what will happen you, you know unless you have that your s o l yeah. exactly yep I've been there
1: what do we think about joseph's story that's <sighs> not you wait which one' well yeah, so the the one where it's it's the Joseph story with the um animal porn oh, the- and the bestiality sex and that
4: okay first as i was listening i don't to think this-
1: anybody is a plus like into it that's my thing oh yes. no so- but i
4: did think it was hilarious at the very beginning when he was like and there's porn animal porn mostly and you could tell he just like thought of that on the spot mm. you know and i was like okay <laughs> i dig this and then oh it takes a dark turn
2: no, I mean, I did, it's like we were saying earlier, it's almost like he got into this cabin, saw these bizarre bear paintings, found the wolf mask, and then was, like, ins- being inspired to craft this narrative that just had no basis in reality. Yeah.
4: But even the way he phrases it, it's like, I'm doing my wife this favor, you know? Like, doing this terrible thing to her, like, it was the happiest I'd ever seen her in my life, and she mm-hmm. gave me this cryptic smile, and, like, I saved our marriage mm-hmm. is, like, the end of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I saved mm-hmm. my browser speed. You know, it's just it's such you a know. narcissistic way to talk about like doing a horrific thing to someone you're supposed to love. And the thing that really stuck in my mind was that he left her tied up until the next morning.
2: It's like oh. right. It, it was a little bit of Gerald's game, moment, yeah. You know, yep. yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, I
4: say that I don't think any of that actually happened or is true, right. But- mm-hmm.
2: But it tells you a lot about him that this is the story he would choose to tell. It it's like he in I think all he was probably trying to do is continue to freak out Aaron because part of his games. Yeah. But he accidentally kind of like revealed a lot about himself mm-hmm. in telling that story. Yeah.
4: Well, and it's interesting, too. And this is something I've kind of experienced also because there's a, a threat hidden in this story. Also, you know, it's like. I'm telling you this thing. I'm telling you this is how far I'm willing to go to someone I love. So how far am I willing to go with you? But it's in the guise of revealing this really deep, dark secret and like letting this wall down. But also like, just so you know, I will kill you, you know. And I've had conversations like that given like, because I, you know, I have some trauma in my past and with some people that I've worked with in the past, I've talked a lot about that. And some of the comments they would make back to me specifically about that thing just felt like like really passive aggressive kind of threatening language you know which is like the red flag that goes up and that's it's really hard to put your finger on why the red flag goes up in that situation and that's what narcissists do is they like find this that tiny little chink in the armor and they just get in and they exploit it you know
2: mhm absolutely narcissists psychopaths uh, you know it's it's a there's a lot of common traits there it's i think with like and like i think if you're dealing with a psychopath it can the consequences can be more um violent basically right. I, that's i think the 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 difference yeah. here and i i am still struggling with the the borders between those two um in, in the context of this film and in the context of this conversation but i, I think it's uh, there's there's a lot there's yeah. a lot of traits they share i think
1: there's a lot of overlap with anti and we talked a little bit about antisocial personality disorder and the overlap with narcissism a couple weeks ago and i think we just like in general when you're doing a podcast about movies like you you kind of like we take some liberties like i will say like we definitely yeah
2: absolutely we, we have we take have some to liberties. yeah
1: yeah this was definitely an uncomfortable scene to watch with your 10 year old daughter. Um oh, Lord. Yeah, it definitely on the heels of having the conversation about like that scene in the book It uh all in one day. It was a whopper <laughs> of a, a day. <laughs> so yeah, it was, a, aye, aye, it was a whopper of a Saturday. Oh, oh. So, yeah, that was fun. So my daughter was like, No, like none of this is good, like none of this is allowable. You know- I'm
4: glad you are talking about it with her though you know well, that's one right. of us. That's just like definitely. try to help her
2: understand process <laughs> this <laughs>
4: stuff you know
2: yeah yeah it's better to be there with her processing mm-hmm. it versus having her like as a child off on her own <laughs> right reading
1: just you know, stumbling
2: I, upon
4: the sewer scene you know
1: we i had All this right. conversation with the kid at school at lunch and he i'm like on netflix like can you just watch whatever you want like if you you, you know He's like, yeah, pretty much. Like, I know, like, growing up, like, we had to sneak R-rated movies in. Do you know what I mean? So, like, it was a big deal to watch, like, A Nightmare on Elm Street because you would sneak downstairs, turn on HBO, like, really, really low, and then watch it when everybody was asleep. Or you would hope you would get the clerk at the video store that just let you rent anything. But, like, I Mm -hmm. didn't understand the context of a lot of different things. Where I think, like, as a parent, I'm like, you can watch this with me, that's fine, and we'll talk about it. But there is some of that joy of discovery that kind of goes away when you can just kind of watch whatever. Oh,
2: yeah. Um,
1: But it's definitely made for some weird conversations, yeah. Yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are two more things that I want to talk about, Mm -hmm. and not super in-depth, but I want to... T- the part that I really was like, yep, yeah, that's narcissism is when he's talking about how quickly he beat cancer, yes. you know? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I beat it right away. It was like, incredible in fact, and that's a paraphrase. Like, I don't remember exactly what he said, like, but
2: that reminded of me park. of a certain someone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah Yeah, I I did I I beat cancer in the greatest the best way the the best and most yeah yeah, amazing which is funny cancer story because he's
4: telling it in the midst of telling us that he's dying from cancer so but he has to let us know that he beat cancer once in spectacular fashion Mm -hmm. and now it's just like nobody could survive this kind of cancer Mm -hmm. you know
2: right it's just but he still says like maybe the power of positive mm -hmm. thinking you never know and like and it's just um and his affect is so uh it's so discordant with what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also like another red flag that is like hard to immediately distinguish. But when somebody is telling you something and their affect doesn't match what they're saying, it's like, ooh, like something just doesn't feel right. No. And this is like, he's like, yeah, I'm dying of cancer. But you know, and then he like, he he does that. He has that moment at the end of Tubby Time before he does the suicide gag where he's like, I'm actually really sad. And like, yeah. and then he's just like bursts out laughing and all this. And it's like, that would have actually at that moment it would have seemed like an actually human thing to say like okay i put on a big game but actually i'm really sad about this situation and it's really hard mm-hmm. but then he immediately was like jk I was just fucking with you and it's like what is happening
4: right yeah. and that's something that i find really interesting about the sequel is that he tells us a lot about his backstory or does he because is any of this real and it's just it's it's like we have these moments of seeing into him and seeing like who he really is, but then nope, none of it's real. Or yeah. maybe it is, but we just don't know, you know. And I
1: think that I've read, I know Creep Three is planned, I'm but so like excited. as of a year, as uh-huh. of March a year ago, like Duplass, he's been pretty open about saying I'm really struggling with breaking the story for it, and I just wonder if, is how much difficulty he he and Bryce might be having like if there's a character that's like so ephemeral and someone who you really don't know who that person is and what's like how much do they know what's real and what is not real about this character like do they even grasp it mm-hmm. and if they don't like how hard it might be to break like story after story for this person um because mm-hmm. it's yeah. i found like i i think one of the things that makes joseph so fascinating is how hard he is to really pin down anything on and mm-hmm. that's what makes it so difficult yeah
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you you don't want to reveal too much because then you're writing like Hannibal Rises Mm -hmm. or something like the origin story, you know, and it's just if you if you show too much of the monster, they it's no longer interesting. So I I, I, can't, I could not possibly fathom a story for Creep 3. I feel like that would be very difficult to yeah. write. But you know what? I said that about Creep 2,
4: you know, and somehow mm-hmm. they managed to really knock it out of yeah. the park. But, the, okay, so Creep 2 it ties into the other thing that I kind of want to talk about in partnership with the original is, like, this need for control, you know? Because he has staged all of this stuff. I think some of it is improv. Some of it he just kind of happens upon and goes with it and works with what Bryce is giving him. But I think a lot of it, like he has planned all of this out and he is trying to like control every reaction that Bryce has. And I think it's so fascinating to watch Creep too, because Sarah really continually challenges that. And one of the funniest scenes in that movie is when he's sitting in the river and he's just infuriated that he's trying to give this speech and a bird keeps chirping. And he's like threatening to kill the bird and like throwing rocks at the bird. And it's just so interesting the way seeing like that need for control and how strong Mm -hmm. it is and how it really like tears him apart when he doesn't have that and some of the biggest fights I've had with narcissists in my life is when they did not feel like they were in control and that and I just want to say that's I mean maybe a particularly dangerous time if you're dealing with a narcissist you know which kind of goes back to what you were talking about Mike about like buttering them up
2: and like kind of
4: like fluffing
2: that ego a little bit you know yeah, like a, a, a scorned narcissist is going to be an unstable, angry force to be reckoned yeah, with. Exactly. Yeah. And like, OK, so we've watched two movies about narcissists that
4: kill people, you know, and I think most of the narcissists that you meet in your life probably are not going to. And that's something that I really struggled with a lot in therapy was trying to identify why I was feeling so bad because my dad has never actually physically hurt me or like mm-hmm. it was never a physically abusive like relationship. But I kept thinking, is there a repressed memory somewhere? Is there something that I'm not remembering? Because it felt the same. You know, it's like this Mm -hmm. emotional manipulation is still can be just as damaging. And I don't want to compare pain, but it can be just as hurtful and damaging down the road as a physically Uh abusive relationship as well.
2: You know, and it. It can feel really scary being around someone like that, especially if they're in a position of power over you in any way, like a parental figure or what have you. It's like that sense of just having no core of stability can leave you just feeling very, very, very scared. Yep. And that's, and it's that kind of trait that just really will scare me in a person. And I'm just like, I don't know how far they're going to take it because I don't see any evidence that they're capable of self-control mm-hmm. or, or, or being stable in any way. And it's living with that. It's damaging. It really is. Yeah.
1: Like, there's also, yeah, there's a level of exhaustion, physical exhaustion that comes with having to really be the caretaker of one's emotions over and over again. And it also becomes a learned behavior so that like, it's not just dealing with that individual, For that moment in time, but it's something that we kind of learn and carry with us in our day to day interactions with other people that just becomes emotionally and psychologically draining after a while and it doesn't feel like we get to be who we really want to be at that point. It's what this person has like taught us to be is a way to kind of like protect ourselves.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the amount of time I spend managing the emotions of just about everybody I meet, mm-hmm. just because that's what I grew up with, you know, is something that I'm really having to kind of unpack yeah. because that's like, that's how you learn to relate to people, you know, when it's mm-hmm. like from the from the day you I was born, like that's what I had to do. And it's just, that's really hard to unlearn, you know.
2: It, it really is. And it's in my own life, I've been figure, trying to like figure out how do I, how do I turn that into a positive thing and reclaim control over yeah. it? Um, And it's, it's why I'm kind of considering a career change. I'm trying to analyze like, what are the things that I've gotten good at as a result of having that same tendency? Mm -hmm. And how do I make, integrate that? Because it's never really going to fully go away, but how do I integrate it into myself in a positive way and affect positive change on others with it? And I don't have the answer to that question, but I'm thinking
4: about it. I'm thinking about that a lot too. And I think like I describe myself as an empath and uh And I think there is a lot of good in that, like, I I can tell when people are upset. And so I'll kind of back off a little bit. And I'm like, okay, maybe not the time to talk about this now. Maybe we'll talk about this later. Not necessarily as like a nefarious manipulation, but just as like respecting their feelings, you know. Yeah, There was also another thing, like when I was teaching, I could really, really easily hear who was singing off key. In like a sea of 20 kids, like I could hear the one person. And it's because I was so like highly tuned to everybody's like behaviors and mannerisms and stuff. So there are benefits to it. It's just like, I don't know if I would choose Mm -hmm. that (laughs) for (laughs) myself, but, you know, we can reclaim this. Mm -hmm. Well... As we're wrapping up, is there anything else we want to talk about besides how fantastic Mark Duplass is for 9,000 hours? (laughs) Because he really is. I could could talk about that. He's amazing. I just want to make sure we're fully shouting him out. Well, let's briefly talk about other mental health topics we see in this. Um, we're not going to dive into it. We just like to mention things when we see them, and we mentioned suicide already, and I mentioned codependency, and I think that's probably going to be another topic. Mm-hmm. So f- down the road, and that's yeah. that's mm-hmm. a whole nother ball game. So I'm not going to dive into that, but I think there's a strong argument that Aaron is codependent. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else we see that we want to mention? I think we've covered it. I mean, all that psychopathy, sexual assault, oh, yeah. Uh, I think, that, you know, and boundary setting. I think those are the other big themes for yeah. me. Yeah. And I just want to say also, lots of times
4: we don't really dive too deeply into these because we want to keep the focus on the topic of yeah. the episode. But I just we just like to mention them, but we will either have talked about them in the past or we'll talk about them later. Yeah. Um, let's also talk really quickly about other movies that we see narcissism in. Again, not going to dive into it, but things we find thematically similar. I, we've talked a lot about creep too. Um, also I want to say behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon, which is That's a, a fantastic choice. movie. I actually wrote a blog that, you know what, now that my new blog's up, I can repost it, but comparing yes. creep two and the rise of Leslie Vernon in this like faux, um, revealing secrets but in a manipulative way so maybe look for that coming soon because I, I like Hell yeah i also threw in trick-or-treat in there too because you know <laughs> discuss because why not right. for, for a little treat <laughs> yeah. um and there's also a documentary called the glitch in the matrix which mm. um really kind of disturbed me but it's like seeing the world as a simulation starring you kind of like truman show kind of thing
2: mm. so yeah yep uh, I'm going to continue shouting out Sunset Boulevard <laughs> because I just rewatched it on Friday after I was like, I do this pandemic Friday film series with friends where we watch good movies on Fridays and I recommend, it was my turn. So I recommended Sunset Boulevard and then had a really good conversation with my friends about it. Um, and I, it's a masterpiece. Gloria Swanson in that movie as like a, uh, as a really sympathetic, but also still completely repulsive narcissist. Um one of the best performances in cinema history in my opinion and it's also like i don't call it a horror movie but i think horror fans will get a lot out of it because it's kind of this noir thriller with with like a dark comedy undertone but it's also got these like really elaborate gothic sequences and stuff and so i think horror fans like if you have not checked out sunset boulevard and you're interested in this kind of theme like check it out it is it's in my top five movies of all time
1: i need to watch that book I would recommend, I would say like, it's called night film, a novel by Marisha Pessel. Um, and it's about like trying to find like this lost film or lost film by a director and like the director, it's, um, mm-hmm. very much like a Oubreckian type of director that they're kind of going after. And he has, a, shows a lot of the tendencies you would have of a narcissist. So, and I would say like the behind the scenes documentary that Kubrick's uh, Stanley Kubrick's daughter filmed on The Shining when you get to see yes. him in action <laughs> and really like the damage he kind of did on set also would be you know again like kind of a little bit off center but those are two things I might kind of seek out.
4: Yeah Totally. Um, And now for an uplifting moment <laughs> La. <laughs> this is when we share any grounding coping or self-care that's been particularly effective for us um, grounding and coping techniques are little tips tricks mantras or practices that help us get through the hard days or hard moments and self-care is anything we do to treat ourselves um, anything that makes us feel good or feel better could be considered self-care I've been I was actually have forgotten to think about anything but I, I think my self-care really has just been kind of Letting go of some of my to do list, you know, like it's been super fucking busy week. It's like rounding out tax season right now, which is always sometimes I'm like, why am I so stressed? And oh, yeah, it's April. I'm always stressed during April, but and I'll have these long lists and I'll think, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And sometimes I've just had to like ask for extensions on things and like, I just, I really need to go to bed tonight. I'm not gonna do this well and I need a little more time. And that's okay to do. It's really, really hard for me to do, but. I have really not had any kind of pushback or like resistance to it, which was usually surprising to me when people don't like hate me or yell at me when I ask for things like that. But yeah, so I was like, I'm giving myself the gift of going to bed tonight. (laughs) So
2: (laughs) now I was just going to say, I mean, like I've had a good few days in terms of my allergies calmed down. I started working out again. And then, and so this is going to be more of a vent than a (laughs) (laughs) self care. But I like yesterday I worked out and then not while I was working out but a few hours later my ankle started hurting and I've got, had issues with this ankle and I started getting really really down on myself about it because I feel like anytime I start to make progress with physical mental health choices that I've been making it seems like something is constantly derailing me so I am saying this out loud to say like I'm gonna take a long walk today I'm just gonna deal with it because walking I'm in my experience with my ankle troubles like walking on it and doing gentle things actually helps mm-hmm. it so I'm really gonna try not to let it Start making me spiral and get really down on myself and try to not let it totally destroy the momentum I've been making in the last few days because I don't want it to and I'm trying to make the like kind of like we were saying earlier I'm trying to make these concerted efforts and choices to not let my depression and depressive thinking um, override my rationality, because it is very easy for me when a little thing throws me off to just be like, well, fuck it and like mm-hmm. go eat a pint of ice cream mm-hmm. and cry for three and go to sleep, you know, so I'm really going to make a concerted effort to not do that in the interest of self care. <laughs> so that is my thing for today. Great. I love that.
1: I know for me, like I now that like we're re- starting to slowly return to some normalcy, Um like I know more people are going back into the office, I know that like there was one day this week where I looked down at least twice and I'm like, am I wearing pajama bottoms today? Like, (laughs) I really had to check twice, which is weird. I know like our students are returning back to school at a higher rate. So one of the things I've talked to like, especially kids about is putting together like a little mental health kit that they have on them as we kind of like leave our homes and get back to things. Cause it is a little bit weird. Like I actually this past week had a student in that someone asked me to check on who I've never had an interaction with. And we were just chatting. And I just happened to say like, I know the past year it's been hard for a lot of us and they immediately like burst into tears. And it was like, oh. yeah, you know, because I don't think anyone has like actually said like, yeah, it's been really hard.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so it was, you know, it was interesting. So one of the things I talk about is like putting together like literally a gallon size Ziploc bag with a few things that you can have in there that like you can easily access so things like a cold bottle of water uh specifically at our school because the water fountains are turned off right now and covered up
3: yeah
1: having like a fidget or a squish toy having things that help you do some grounding like whether it's a handful of like lifesavers or jolly ranchers like something you can like pop in your mouth and just taste and focus on the taste of something maybe like a index card with a preferred breathing technique on it so if you find your like breath is getting or your thoughts are spiraling you can kind of like grab that have a look at it and kind of like practice that in the moment so just like a little thing as we start to return a little bit back to normal or whatever the normal is going to look like that i think it's okay for that to be a really difficult transition right now So have a few things on hand for yourself that are going to allow you to like, take a moment to kind of catch your breath and, you know, get your feet under you. So whatever you think would fit in that kit that would be appropriate, you know, like if a kid tells you like, well, what I usually do is I watch a show on Netflix, I'm like, well, we can't really do that in school. So, you know, what is something that we can actually, you know, things that you can use depending on the situation and what Mm -hmm. might be given Mm -hmm. to you.
2: I I love that. I think that's a really great idea. Probably good for grownups going
4: back to the office. I would say so.
3: (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah, I was about to say, like, if I, you know, if and when I ever return to anything, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do that. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Um
4: so we want to hear from you. Do you know any creeps? Do you love Mark Duplass? <laughs> Do you have any <laughs> thoughts about this movie or what we talked about and what is your self-care or just you know what's on your mind? And you can share all of this and more by joining us at uh, by following us at Psychoapod on all of the socials. And you can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group. It is a private and moderated group where we can share about all the things that we talk about in the episodes, monthly topics, or anything else that's going on in our lives. Um, You can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com. Uh, If you'd like to share privately and if you have a moment to spare, we, I know we've joked about this, but we would love it if you could leave us a rating and review. Um, It only takes a minute and it really like the algorithm, it really does help other people find the podcast Um, and it makes us feel good. Um, And thank you so much to everyone who has already left reviews. We've gotten some really sweet and kind ones that just made my day. Mm -hmm. And our homework question for this week is what is the weirdest job you've ever had? And <laughs> I am looking forward to some interesting answers on this. Um, and so you if you've looked at the calendar recently, you may have noticed that there are five Thursdays in April. Hooray! And so instead of like picking another movie for that fifth episode, I think we're going to do kind of a listener feedback or an ask us anything episode. Um and we'll kind of I think probably give a little bit more specific information about that coming soon. But if you have a question for us or you have some feedback, you can email us at um at psychoapod at gmail.com. You can DM us on socials. I think it'll probably be a little easier for us to keep track of if you email it to us. But either way is okay. We want to hear what you think or is there something that we talked about in an episode that you have more questions about? Or did we say we see this movie for the for the did you see any other movies for narcissism that we didn't mention? Just anything you want to say, you know? So stay tuned for more information about that, but you can go ahead and email us, email us if you want. Uh, so what are we watching next? We have a comfort horror episode, and I am so excited to talk about this movie because I just love it. Um, Chandler Bullock is going to be joining us, and we are watching The Witch. The, the witch, witch. The, the Witch. <laughs> or The Witch, or The yeah, yeah, the witch. We're watching the witch. <laughs> and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Robert of floating Eggers off the ground. Yes,
2: <laughs> yes, yes. I'm I'm ready to live deliciously. Oh yes, man. <laughs> so stay tuned
4: for that. And we are also we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us here, there, and everywhere by going to consequenceofsound.com. dot com. And Mike, where can we find you online?
1: Sure. So you can find me over on Twitter at mike underscore Snoonian. Uh, that's my personal account. You can also hear me every other week on the Pod and the Pendulum podcast, where we cover horror movie franchises. We, as of this episode, we are not. We have now moved on to the Evil Dead. Uh, Lindsay and I have welcomed guest Jay Blake Fischera, who is the author of the book Score to Death and its sequel Score to Death Two. Oh, cool. uh, conversations with some of the best composers in horror movie history. He's also the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, Saturday Night Sleepovers, um, which looks back on the movies of like the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, like the movies you kind of would have grown up watching as a kid when you would have friends over. It is one of the best combinations of like storytelling and film criticism and information. So I'm really excited to have like Jay Blake back on the show. He's just a really fantastic guest. So our evil dead series is up as of right now and i want to thank our listeners like i just kind of took a look year over year and in march we posted like three fewer episodes than a year ago and we doubled our listenership
3: so it's kind of one
1: of those things that i'm really proud of so i you know again this is a little bit narcissistic of me (laughs) but i do believe like i'm on two of the best horror movie podcasts that are out there so, and if you disagree, you can suck eggs. So, there you
2: go. <laughs> And if you agree, you can leave us a yes, rating. Exactly. I
1: on iTunes. Yes. So, <laughs> so yeah.
2: for Pod and the Pendulum as well. <laughs> so,
1: please do. So, there you go. Now you can find me.
2: <laughs> Laura, how about you? Well, um, occasionally on Loser's Club and uh, Halloweenies, but you can mainly find me on Twitter at Underalls, U N D E R A L L S. Much like the uh, pair of fuzzy furry little wolf panties that you wear all day secretly to make yourself feel in touch with your animalistic <laughs> self. <Nice>. That's Underalls, <laughs> U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S on Twitter. And uh, follow me there to hear me making really bizarre jokes. <laughs> and if they offend you, let me know. <laughs> or don't. Please, actually, just don't talk yeah. to me. Okay.
4: Kind of saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can find me at Jimferatu on all the socials you can also find me on the losers club and i just launched my blog it actually happened it is out into the world it's called Yay. Yay. i know i had so many feelings about that um big thank you to everybody who helped me work through those feelings including laura and mike and laura actually edited the blog so thank you so much and of course. um so you can find that at female antagonist on the socials and at femaleantagonist.com and I wrote about Brenda Bates from Urban Legend who is I just fucking love her and I think the next month I'm going to write maybe about Joan Crawford and Mommy Dearest I think is what oh, I'm Oh, I would love that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Or is it going to be Joan Crawford or Betty Davis? Uh Oh, I know. You're talking Mommy Dearest. Oh, I, I, I mean. That um, whatever happened to Baby I Jane. I my br- that, but, you know, that would be a good one, too. That would be a good one, too. Yeah, that, that and Sunset Boulevard actually have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, I'm tired. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no.
4: Um, well, we also talked about Sunset Boulevard, and I was thinking about that movie, too. Um, but I also mm-hmm. think that now that I have, like, part of the reason I wanted to do a blog is to have a platform um, just to kind of put stuff out. And because I used to have a blog, and it got taken down, and so I think I'm going to try to put back stuff up -hmm. again on this blog so maybe look out for that also thank you for everybody who has followed that and read it and supported it and you know really means a lot to me so that's where you can find me and and that's our episode on creep Yay. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for this episode and series. I've really been wanting to talk about narcissism for a long time, like maybe since I was born. And <laughs> so thank you so much for spending the time to talk about it with us and listen. And it, you know, it means a lot. Uh, please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubble gum and take care of ourselves. And we're, and we're all, all out of, b- of bubble gum.